hello everyone. Welcome back to episode 36 of Talk of Fame Podcast. I'm Kylie. Today we have on the amazing digital host and reporter for New York Yankees and host of the Tolling the Slab, Justin Schenkel. Thanks so much for coming on, Justin. I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks so much, Kylie. I appreciate you uh you invited me on your show. Thank you. Of course. So as I kind of mentioned a little bit, you are the host of Tolling the Slab. What made you kind of want to start being part of that? So Toning the Slab is a very niche baseball podcast, and it's a podcast that centers around the art of pitching. And I host it with one of the, the best pitchers from the late 80s and throughout the 90s, David Cohn. He's a Cy Young Award winner. He's a five-time world champion with the New York Yankees, with the Toronto Blue Jays. So it's, you know, it's towing the slab, pitching with David Cohn. We have a, a master researcher and James Smythe as well. And we're doing it as part of John Boy Media. And if you're a baseball fan, you by now over the last few years from the work they've done and the way they've kind of shaken up the baseball industry, you know about John Boy Media. So we like to have a lot of fun. We like to educate, we like to inform our listeners. But overall, we like to entertain and we do it by chatting about pitching each and every week we have great guests on and for me i'm a i'm a baseball junkie and more specifically i love the art of pitching so this is a dream come true for me to be able to chat up about pitching every single week with a guy that i grew up watching in david Cohn, and he was on my team i grew up a yankee fan so it's uh it's so much fun and it's it's definitely making the offseason move by pretty quickly here yeah for sure as people we were talking about before we started like I'm a baseball junkie, as you said. Like, I'm a baseball junkie as well. All I do is watch baseball. Like, all I do is talk about or watch baseball. That's my basically everything that I do. Like, every time someone asks me what I'm doing, I'm basically watching baseball. Mm-hmm. Like, either way, I grew up with atmosphere baseball and growing up at always at the field, watching my brother play or me having my own baseball game I played a couple of years back. And so I'm always at the field practicing or whatever it is. But like David Cohen is one of the best like kind of picture pitchers back in the 80s, 90s, and one of the best like to ever do it. Like what is it like kind of to do do the podcast with him and everything? It's wonderful because yeah, he has so many credentials as a former pitcher, but especially where the game of baseball is right now, with so much technology involved and there's so much of a focus on what some of these front offices are trying to do in terms of finding that next edge. And a lot of it's computerized. So much technology, like I said, is involved. David, even though he comes from the quote-unquote old school, he does a terrific job of bridging the gap, teaching fans, listeners, and, and anyone who's just interested in how the game is played today He does a great job of just bridging that gap between some modern analytics and modern measurements that are being used in front offices around the game today and mixing it with the heartbeat of an athlete because you can never dismiss what is going on with a, you know, with a human. And and look, these aren't chess pieces on a chessboard that are taking the field on, on a you know, on a baseball field during a game, these are human beings. So you definitely have to weigh in that heartbeat of an athlete. And David, unlike anybody else in terms of talking about the sport today, does a terrific job of blending those two elements together. 
Yeah, absolutely. The sense like baseball is like one of like hardest sports to play. Like it's one hard sport to play. Baseball and like people like baseball is harder than it actually looks. As I say, yes, and so absolutely. with um, the lockout, players are unable to access facilities. Like they can't really do anything. There are no signings. Like we'll be lucky if we be, be back by spring training for lucky. Since there hasn't been no progress, there was a meeting last night, and there was no progress at all. And probably there's not going to be any progress for the next probably couple of months or weeks. You may never know what's going to happen. But I'm hoping to get news back because I kind of want to see some signings. Definitely. And the, the, the frustrating part with all of this is so many of us who kind of are involved in the game somehow, you know, you may work as a as an executive or maybe you're on the player agent side or me, I work in the media. So many of us got into working to baseball because we're fans of the game. We're not fans of labor law and stuff like that, which is currently going on. So it's a lot of it is a little difficult to try and wrap your mind around all of the stuff that's being talked about right now. But bottom line is it comes down to the business side of the sport. And look, the way everything's kind of evolved over time, baseball is a business now. And yeah, what you're seeing is a lot of negotiating and and I don't know even know if we're negotiating on some individual elements. I think we're still in the phase where you have the league, the owners, and then the players association still ne- kind of negotiating leverage at this point. It, it's all a business tactic. So this is like business tactics, business ethics, what we're, what we're seeing right now. I'm a little more optimistic than a lot of people that you, you'd probably talk to in baseball circles. I think when it gets late and the urgency is there to get a deal done, I think there's too much money to be left on the table for both sides to not come to an agreement. Yeah, like absolutely. Like the, like we kind of knew like when the, there's going to be a lockdown coming over the last yeah. few years. We knew when it was coming, but we just didn't know exactly what happened. We were basically lucky enough that we made it kind of this far without a lockdown. Like, we were lucky. And so, like, between, like, like it sinks for me. The hardest part is, like, not seeing the signings. Like, Clayton Kershaw's, Kershaw hasn't signed yet. And, like, we are lucky to see some signings. Like, Max Scherzer to the Mets. Like, Corey Seager to the Rangers and some other big signings. And so, right before, basically, the lockdown hit a couple months ago, but, like, what do you kind of expect, like, the next couple of months the MLB will do, like, in terms of the lockdown and the signings and all that? I mean, I think once it ended ends, we're going to see a logistical nightmare if you actually work for a team and, in like, an administrative role because you are going to have to figure out how to compact the spring training schedule, most likely, if, if this – stalemate runs through the start of spring training you're gonna probably have a shortened a truncated spring training schedule and you're gonna have to figure out the logistics of getting foreign players you know their visas to come over here and then I mean you still have more than half of your off-season planning in terms of actual player personnel that you probably have to figure out so what we saw just before the lockout that free agent frenzy for about a a week's time. You may double that feeling coming out of this lockout, depending on how much time we're going to have between the the time where maybe a new CBA is agreed to 
toward and the start of spring training, what we saw, all that excitement, it was very much like what the start of NFL free agency is like, the start of NBA free agency is like, same thing with hockey. You're, you're probably going to see a double dose of that compared to what we saw in early December. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, as a free agent, like, free agency, basically any type of sports, probably, like, the most interesting part of the offseason, the signings and everything. True. Yeah, Even and though- I mean, th- you, you have free – sorry to cut you off, but you have free agency, and then – you're going to have a bunch of trades as well. That's that's another part of all this. It's not just free agency here. You're going to have so many trades that, look, during this time, I know it's frowned upon, it's not allowed, but a lot of these front office executives throughout the league, they're finding ways to communicate with one another, maybe through some back channels and stuff. And I would be surprised if there weren't already some deals in place and once the CBA is agreed to, you're going to see these trades become official and GMs are going to just start unloading. And it's going to be a lot of fun whenever we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Like back in the last couple of years before even lockdown happened, there were so many free agent signings, like almost everyday trades. Like something that hit me the most was a trade Dodgers and Red Sox and Rookie Bets was traded to the Dodgers for – Oxford Dugo and mm-hmm. wait, who, I forget what else we traded, but I we got Mookie Betts. I think it was Jeter Downs because yeah, Jeter it was Downs. a big yeah, it was a big story of how the Red Sox were able to get someone named Jeter. Yeah, and I, there there were other pieces I believe to that trade. Don't don't quote me, but I remember Jeter Downs being in there too. Yeah, I feel like we got another player from the Red Sox, but I, I can't think of how in my head at the moment. Oh, yeah, and, uh, David Price. David, that's yeah, it. David Price. Yeah. yeah, David Price. And so, like, I remember that trade. Like, it was yesterday, basically. Mm-hmm. I was – I actually met Alex Rodrigo a couple of weeks before. I um, – before the trade even happened, like, before we ever heard about it. Mm-hmm. And so, like – and so I met him at FanFest, after FanFest and stuff. And I met him – and so, like, I met him a couple months ago, back in July and stuff. And he's becoming such, like, a big kind of big part of my life, like – I met him a couple of times over the last couple, like almost like three years now. I met him a couple of times. We kind of grew a good bond since we kind like I met him so many times and stuff. But like, what was kind of the trade that kind of hit you? Like, as like what trade kind of hit you that was like how why did they make this trade or why like why did they even do this trade or the sign? You mean from the last few years or from maybe when I was growing up as a as a fan? Oh, um, last couple of years. Last couple of years. Let me think then. Hmm. I mean, oh, that's a tough one. Hmm. Well, I think the trade, and look, I come from a Yankee background. You know, I work for the team. I, I grew up a Yankee fan. I would say the trade that has brought up the most questions and perhaps second guesses in the eyes of some was the trade where they acquired John Carlos Stanton from the Marlins at the uh, very end of, of 2017, December of 2017. And you look at it in a vacuum now, you know, and, and on the sur- I should say on the surface, first of all, people say, wow, look at that contract. So long, so much money. Well, hey, fast forward four years or so, the Marlins are on the hook for a, a decent-sized chunk of the money. Giancarlo Stanton's average annual value isn't that much compared to 
what we're seeing players earn annually these days. I mean, when you have players earning $40 million annually, Giancarlo Stanton, who I think, you know, right now is only bringing in, you know, around $20 million annually. So it's, it's not something that is going to cripple you with your collective, you know, your, your collective bargaining tax, but uh, it's the years. And slowly but surely, you know, he's had his peaks and valleys in New York. A lot of people thought it, it wasn't a necessary move, but hey, Giancarlo Stanton, you can't argue the type of season he had in 2021. He stayed healthy. He, I believe, is one of the very few players who has been able to prove himself in a place like New York without winning a championship. Obviously, to completely dispel that stigma and that cliche, that perception of him from some fans, yeah, you need a championship. But I think he did enough, especially over this past season in 2021, to show that, hey, I can handle this market. Because unlike so many other players, he has to deal with that constant scrutiny of, oh, you are one of the higher paid players. Your contract is that large. What are you doing in order to make that look like a coup for your club? Are you living up to that deal? Are you maybe exceeding expectations? He has to kind of answer those questions every single day since he's arrived in the Bronx. And I think he's finally starting to win some people over. And everything he does in his approach, he's a hard worker. He shows up early. I think he's been terrific with the media. So uh, I, I would say that trade is something that you're going to continue to be able to dissect for years to come. And it really hasn't stopped slowing down ever since they actually pulled the trigger with the Marlins at the end of 2017. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So as you kind of... Like, you're not, since you, like, work for the Yankees and stuff, but you're also a digital host and reporter for the New York Yankees. What is it like for you to work and report for the Yankees? It's awesome. I mean, my office is Yankee Stadium for half the year. It's terrific. I love driving into New York and into the Bronx and, you know, going the same way that I drove with my family to games growing up. It really is a, a pinch me drive every single time. And I try to always put it in perspective, never take it for granted. And coming out of 2020 when I didn't work and, you know, there was no need because there, there wasn't much content to be shot. Games were being held with empty stadiums. No fans were there coming back for 2021. It was, uh, it was emotional. And again, it, it Prove to me just how much I love doing what I do. It's terrific, though. Um, I get, like I said, I get a free seat in the house and get paid to watch the Yankees play baseball every single day. So uh, it beats working for a living. Yeah, nothing's really better than that. Since like 2020 was a 60 game season due to pandemic, and like a they had to do um, a like a month, a couple of weeks out of spring training. It was a couple, like, at their own stadiums. Yeah. It wasn't, like, a regular spring training through the pandemic. And so, like, it was a different type of game since it was, um, based, like, it was since the pandemic, it changed really that much. Like, it changed a lot. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of uncertainty, too. We, we didn't know what some of our statuses were for that season because we didn't know how – they were going to proceed with that season. 2020 was rough, not, you know, and, and you read about the 
negotiations to play through a pandemic between the league and the players. 2020, when you think about that and, and how baseball fell on the sports calendar, you know, stadium workers, people who work for the teams in administrative roles, so many parking attendants. I mean, a lot of people that you probably don't think about every day were massively effective, uh, affected, I should say. And they, you know, they lost a lot of money, lost a lot of income. It was tough. And that uncertainty sort of bled into 2021. And thank goodness, you know, everything was able to get resolved. Things slowly transitioned back to normal. And now we just kind of have to wait for the chips to fall with uh, another work stoppage, but in a very different form with the, the CBA being needing to be renewed. Yeah, absolutely. Like since we've been trying to see what um, the Players Association and MOB plan is for the new season, since we kind of basically all knew what, what's going to happen. And so like with the uh, 16 season, like no fans were allowed due to the pandemic. Like there's no one allowed to go to the games or in, inside the stadiums. And so that was really difficult on my end, basically, because I was basically going to at least a couple of games a year, even for like the Phillies, Dodgers, or any team that's kind of in town. And so I was basically based off of, I'm basically off of a baseball lifestyle. Like, I used to go to games, a couple of games each year. And so, like, I had one 16 stadium, six games and no fans allowed in the stadium. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I supposed to watch this at home while I can't go to games? How is this even possible? And so, like, during, like, the end of the season, like, playoffs and what series and all that, you started allowing fans in the cases going low, which I'm happy. Like, last year, they will go to a couple of games. Like, because I, like, like, I remember, like, when I went to my first game, like, it was Phillies against the Red Sox. And so, in Philadelphia, and I remember being, like, emotional and being, like, this is I never felt this happy. Before. Yeah, I was going to say, what was it like going back into the stadium for, at that point, probably close to two years, right? Yeah, it was almost like two years. Yeah, yeah. so like, like I went with my dad and my Walmart friends. And so like I wanted to see Alex Badugo kick Hernandez play. Like they like were both my time fair players. I met Alex Badugo back there as well. And so, like, I remember, like, getting there and I remember being emotional because I was, like, I, like, I haven't been inside the stadium for almost two years. Yep. And I'm, like, this is, I, it was, like, the happiest I ever felt. <laughs> like, I just remember being so emotional and happy back at the stadium. And, like, it's just something, like, you just, like, felt like you're seeing someone for the first time in long time. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's that familiarity of the sights the colors, the smells, all that stuff, it, it just triggers something. It triggers a, a level of happiness that is uh, is really special. And I think that's what got me from a, a young age, probably when I was even younger than you are now. And for, for whatever reason, I decided to be a little bold, a little unique, and try to make a career out of it. So uh, it's it's an amazing feeling, and I, I hope we, we get back to it soon here in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. So did you kind of expect yourself to be a reporter for a sports team, or is it something that it would be like a great opportunity to kind of take? I mean, I knew I wanted to work in television when I graduated high school. I actually took a TV production class in my high school, and my 
TV teacher, he told me about a sports broadcasting camp that was held at a local college. And I thought, um, oh, do I really want to go to a sports broadcasting camp? Oh, okay. It, it, it was run by Ian Eagle, who's one of the best play-by-play announcers in the business right now. He calls the NFL on CBS. He calls Brooklyn Net Games on the Yes Network. He's, you know, one of the voices of, of tennis on CBS, he calls all the major tournaments. And it was also run by Bruce Beck, who is one of the best ever New York sports anchors on the NBC affiliate in New York City. And I went, I went for a week and my world was just turned upside down. I, I was bit so hard because of what they were teaching me, what they were telling me, what it, the business was like. And from that moment, I knew that's the path I wanted to go down. And I concentrated that in college. I worked a lot at my school's radio station. I spent more time at the Fordham University radio station than I did in my dorm or my off-campus apartment. And when I graduated college, I hit the road. I called minor league baseball on the radio for my first five years out of school. It took me to some really interesting places in the country, places down south, in Mobile, Alabama, Knoxville, Tennessee, places I would have probably never visited if it wasn't for baseball. And I also were able to start a lot of relationships within the game through minor league baseball. I Shortly thereafter, I came back to New York City working several gigs and ultimately each job leads to another and eventually led me to a job with the Yankees. And it's incredible because when I graduated college, my current role with the Yankees wasn't in existence. So a lot of people say, what, you know, what's your biggest piece of advice for some young people trying to get started in this industry? I always say, obviously be kind Never say no, but try extremely hard to always have an open mind because you never know what an opportunity that's in your face presently can lead to tomorrow. Because like I said, never in my imagination would I have thought that I'd be doing this type of work when I was in school because it didn't exist. So you you just never know what's on the horizon. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to work for the Yankees in this capacity for the last five seasons or so. It led to me to doing some fill-in reporting work on the Yes Network during Yankee broadcasts. And ultimately, it led to me starting a podcast with David Cohn on John Boy Media because I see David Cohn so often uh, at Yankee Stadium. And we've been able to build a friendship. And one day, back in 2021, I Asked him if he wanted to start a podcast with me, a pitching podcast, and that, that's how it started. So, every, like I said, everything kind of leads to another. You, you just never know what's around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if I picture myself a couple of years back, I would never thought ever that I would start a podcast because I was this shy, independent, scared little kid. Like, I was like I was always scared and had a bunch of anxiety, and so I was scared to do a lot of things. And so, like, I was like, okay, this, I, he's like, in terms of me, like, I'm like, every time I try something new, I usually quit very quickly in terms of, like, things. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. a lot of things are not for me, I would say. And so, like, when I started this year, like, I interviewed some of my favorite people ever, never, and I, I never pictured myself ever interviewing some of my favorite people in the industry 
or in some people in sports. Like I have interviewed Madison Watkins, Kenan Ways, like some other people that have been my favorites for a long time in terms of like singing and acting, all those things. And I have um, a friend I had on, like early on when I first started, he plays in the minor league, uh, minor leagues with the, the Phillies. He plays for, um, I think the Iron Pigs right now. He plays for Iron Pigs. Okay, in Allentown, I had a friend yeah. That I met down at spring training last year before even COVID hit. I met him down there and became some good friends after that. But like, it's like, that's what's good about it. It's like you never kind of picture yourself doing it. Like sometimes you just don't picture yourself being in this exact kind of position. That's the beauty of life. And you're going to learn that more and more as you get older. And I think an important lesson, I think for any young person out there, as early as you can, right? Start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, if you're in a brand new position, embrace it. See what happens. Get your feet wet. Worst case scenario, you know, you don't like it and you know not to go back in that direction. But you may discover something new about yourself. You may discover something that is new and that you like, and it could open up a whole new world for you. So it's really important. I, I always think that start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Every new situation, you're a little uncomfortable. It's new. It's human nature. But if you can adapt and at least give it a shot, right? Open your mind to new things. You're going to be in really good shape. You're going to be a really well-rounded person. Absolutely. So do you have anyone that you look up to as a host reporter or just kind of in general? Do you have anyone that you look up to? Yeah. I mean, in, in the business, in terms of talent and just, you know, learning a craft and admiring their work like that, Ironically, not even sports related, but Ryan Seacrest is mm -hmm. someone that I really admire. They're, they're, his work is something, you know, is I really admire his ability to do what he does in a live setting. I don't think there is any broadcaster living today that handles live television better than Ryan Seacrest. Mm -hmm. So calm, so comfortable and natural on camera it, it's as if he's just operating thinking that the camera is not even there mm -hmm. and he's done it for so long i was telling you i think before we started the interview how cool it is that you're able to do a podcast like this from your house mm -hmm. right and i didn't have something like that when when i was younger but Ryan Seacrest, when when he was young, back in the 80s and the early 90s, you know, he kind of like built a TV station in his basement. And that involves a lot of work back in those days and for a, a young kid. So he knew he really wanted to do something in terms of what he's doing today. He knew he wanted to do something that's super relatable to what he's currently doing. I think it's great. I think he's a terrific broadcaster. I always look for little things, little, you know, how he carries himself on camera and just overall staying comfortable. In terms of sports, I mentioned Ion Eagle's name before. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, play-by-play -play announcers out there. And I, I just think he knows how to get the most out of the people that he works with. I love interviewing. So there are a lot of people that I definitely admire from afar. Uh, Holly Rowe is one of them. I think she's a, a terrific sideline reporter. 
I think a lot of people kind of just dismiss the role of sideline reporting in sports broadcasting today. Well, you know what? If you're doing it right, there's a lot of value in the position. And Holly Rowe definitely does it right. She asks a lot of great questions. She knows how to get her interview subjects comfortable and build that trust. She's terrific at that. Lauren Shahadi is a baseball reporter. She does a terrific job doing that as well. And what's really impressive about her is that she doesn't do it so often. She kind of just does it in the postseason. But if you watch her interact with some players right after a game when she does the on-field interview, she does a terrific job asking very simple but thought-provoking questions that gets the best answers out of any player. And then overall, just kind of navigating as a reporter, from my baseball experiences, I really admire the way Ken Rosenthal goes about his work. Because, you know, before pandemic times, reporters were allowed inside the clubhouses for an hour every day before each game. There are a lot of people that kind of just stand around aimlessly without a, a sense of purpose in the clubhouse. And I never wanted to be that person because you're in someone else's space. But when Ken Rosenthal is on site and he's doing it, he's working the room and he's taking advantage of every single minute that's afforded to the media during that clubhouse hour, whether he's talking to someone like Aaron Judge or whether he's talking to the 26th man on the roster, he knows exactly what he needs to do. And it's really admirable to watch him go about his business. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's like one of the best to kind of ever do it, especially in terms of baseball. Mm -hmm. And so one of the people I absolutely adore in terms of baseball and reporting is Alana Rizzo. She uh, previously worked for the Dodgers. She mm -hmm. does it sometimes for MLB Network and many other things. I adore her as well. She's like some of my inspirations as like a journalist and what she does. And I also like um, Ellen Pompeo. She has her own podcast of her own. She's an actress. Uh, she played in like Grey's Anatomy, Meredith Grey. And like she keeps inspiring me with my podcast. And she's the reason why I keep doing this. Because if it wasn't for a podcast, like I wouldn't be here. Like if it wasn't for inspirations, and also um Courtney Turner, Justin Turner's wife. Like she has okay. her own podcast. She, she has with her and her husband Justin Turner, their basement for Dodgers. She's a, um amazing as well. I love her podcast as well. There's so many people I can name in terms of podcasting, journalism. There's many, but there's too much to name personally. Yeah, I think the important thing to do, especially if it's something you want to pursue down the road. Find one of those people that you really admire, tell them, right? And explain why you admire them. And then ask point blank, would you mind being a mentor to me? You know, and and cultivate that relationship. It's so important to know a lot of people in any industry, but especially something like the broadcasting industry, it is all who you know. I mean, that's that you have to have talent, but the other half of it is knowing the right people. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way life works. It's the way the world works. And if you're able to cultivate those relationships, have mentors, you're going to be in a great spot. And it's always good to tell the people that you admire just that, that you admire their work, that they're doing something right. It's going to make them feel good. And you know, you're, you're going to get more out of what you admire by expressing yourself that way.
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree on that. So the final uh, question for the interview is, if you were a reporter for the Yankees, which team would you like to report for? Hmm, which team? Okay, so I, it would be – it's pretty unconventional because I'm thinking broadly and I'm and I'm a – I'm a big Serie A fan, Italian soccer, and I like Napoli down on, you know, on the coast of southern Italy. So because of that, it would mean I would be able to live in, you know, southern Italy uh, by, you know, Positano and Napoli and all that stuff. So, yeah, I would definitely take Napoli soccer. Uh, if you're talking about the four major North American sports, like I'm assuming you are, I would probably take – the New York Rangers, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big Ranger fan. It's, you know, hockey is one of the sports that I've never covered professionally. And I like that because I can really enjoy them as a fan. And I do during the off season, but heck, if I could work for them, you know, and, and cover, you know, a team that way, especially during the winter months, I feel like it would make the cold weather and the winter months go by a lot quicker. And then you have free summers as well. So I, I think it would be the Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if I wasn't, like, if I didn't cover for the Dodgers, it would really be the Seahawks, probably. If I okay. Because I'm a Se I've been a Seahawks fan for a couple of years now, so I probably either the Dodgers or the Seahawks either one for me. Yeah, in, in terms of the small details that kind of add up, you know, in terms of being a team reporter, the NFL teams do it right with how they have their digital presence and how a reporter is worked into the overall goal with an NFL team. So there's only 32 of those jobs out there and they're evolving at a great rate. And it's impressive of, of the work and the type of content that those NFL team reporters are putting out. It's like the equivalent of, you know, my job, but the NFL the way their websites are laid out and stuff like that, they they just have a huge presence on their websites. And it's really impressive to see how it's taken off the last several years. So I would probably also say an NFL reporter job for a team is pretty enticing. Yeah, for sure. Since they're, like it's like very important since there's not a lot of female reporters out there in sports. Like there's a lot of men and so it's there's always good for more female reporters. Absolutely. 100%. But, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It was amazing talking to you. You're amazing. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And let's speak soon. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kylie. I appreciate it. I had fun. Of course. Thank you so much.